Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. And Jesus continues on and says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, like I said earlier, uh, before we started our recording, we're going to conclude our study of Jesus' teaching on prayer and His template for prayer tonight, and we're going to move on, time permitting, to fasting. We ended our last study by looking at how as much as our bodies need physical food for life, our spirits need spiritual food for spiritual life, and that Jesus is the bread from heaven that this prayer points to. But also, when we get here now to verse 12, notice how Jesus goes from teaching us to ask God for the true bread, and then uses the word and in the same sentence as he teaches us to ask the Father to forgive our debts. Look closely. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. I want you to see how it's all tied together. Does God care about your physical needs? Yes. But is that specifically what he's teaching here? No, he's pointing to the spiritual need of the true bread from heaven. And that's why it's tied in conjunction with and forgive us our debts. Now, hopefully you'll know what your debts are. Your debts are your sins. But you need to acknowledge your sins and repent of them in order to be saved. Go to Acts chapter 2. And look at verses 37 through 41. As you're turning there, Acts 2, starting in verse 37, Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, has been preaching at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's come upon the believers in that upper room. A, a pillar of fire came into the room and separated and came to rest over the heads of all the believers. And as the Spirit indwelt them, they began to speak in other languages, actual languages that they didn't know when people were hearing them in their language. And Peter gets up and he starts to preach. At the end of his sermon, it says this, in verse 37 of Acts 2, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people responded to this message. But look closely at what he says. You need to acknowledge your sin and repent of them in order to be saved. That's what he said. When they said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Our Father, give us the true bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. Do you see the connection here? And daily, though, we must acknowledge our sins in order to keep a close, spirit-empowered walk with Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to get saved every day. Hopefully you understand that the moment you trust Christ as your Savior and receive His forgiveness of sins, the Bible says that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as it said right there in Peter's words. The Spirit God comes to indwell you and He seals you as His until the day He takes us home. But we still sin. Anybody say He doesn't sin? Lies. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, This is the message that we have heard from him, from God, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, if we confess our sins or agree with God that we've sinned, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say we haven't sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Now, keep reading. Look at chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but doesn't keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. Now, let all this sink in together here. Is John writing to believers or to unbelievers? Believers. You can see very clearly in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, my, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. Well, he wouldn't write that to an unbeliever. You know why? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the law was added so that what would increase? That the sin would increase. God actually, in a weird way, wants the sinners who are already sinning and already guilty before him as if they broke all of his commands. He wants them to keep sinning so they'll realize they're sinning. That's just a crazy thing for us. If you were to ask most people, does God want lost people to sin more or sin less? And the answer is he wants them to sin more until they come to realize they're a sinner. So that it reveals to them who they are. But now that we're believers, he wants us to not sin. If we do, though, we have an advocate with the Father. But in this passage, just prior to that, he said, if anybody says they don't sin, they're a liar. And the truth is not in them. Did you see that two or three times? The truth is not in you. So we've got this weird balance. That's why I think Jesus is teaching us to ask God for the daily bread. Not just physical bread. No, again, he talks about that later. The spiritual bread, the true bread from heaven. But Jim, I don't need to get saved over and over, do I? No, you don't need to be saved over and over. But you still need Jesus every day to walk this holy, sanctified life. And that's what he's talking about here. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe this will help you a little bit more in this way. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, Paul writing to believers, he said we shouldn't walk anymore now that we're saved in the way in which those who don't know God does, following the passions of their life. You're a new creation now. You need to do that. But if you notice in this passage, this seems to be a daily walk, a daily thing. If you think, well, I got saved. Everything's going to be all better now. No, <laughs> you're still going to have struggles against the flesh. And if any of you have walked with Christ for any years, you know full well you still struggle with sin. But if you learn how to ask God of the daily bread, the true bread from heaven that gives life, has come to the world, not only for salvation, but let him have his control of your life on a daily basis. You, I promise you, you will watch God begin to do something in you and through you that you're not even doing, and you're going to see yourself change. You're going to watch the temptations. You're going to have victory when before you didn't. You're going to see yourself seeing people in a new light as you see them with God's eyes instead of the way you used to look at them. All of a sudden, you're going to find yourself having a heart of mercy and forgiveness when before you might not have been that way. And it's God himself who's doing that work in you as you daily rest in him. What did Jesus say when he taught in the, about the abiding relationship in John 15? I'm the true vine. You're the branches. Every branch that's in me will produce fruit. But do we do it by trying to produce fruit or do we do it by just hanging on to him and allowing him to produce his life through us? 
That's why he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, folks, in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I beg you, I urge you, depending on which translation you have, because of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. And don't be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is living for self, but be transformed. I wish our Bibles in English actually worded it the way it is in the Greek. Our Bibles say, by the renewing of your mind, if it was a better translation, it would say, by the daily renewing of your mind. Because actually in the Greek, that's what it means. As you, daily, we are being renewed inwardly by the Spirit. Doesn't the Bible say that? Inwardly, outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're what? Being renewed day by day. Folks, Jesus is teaching us here that we not only turn to Jesus for our bread, spiritual life, we turn to him for our daily bread. And when we walk as Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit in ways that aren't yielding to the Spirit, what do we do? We grieve the Spirit, as we just saw. We quench the Spirit. He doesn't leave us. He's just sad. Like I told you, God's called me to come and lead here for a season, to get them ready for a pastor. I want to help. But if they don't let me, it'll make me sad. I'm not going to force anything. I can't. But I'm going to offer it. And if it's received, I'll be happy. If it's not, it'll make me sad. But at the same time, isn't that how God works with us on a daily basis? Does God want to be in control of your life on a daily basis? Do you say yes all the time? Does he get mad at you? No. His wrath's already been poured out on Jesus Christ for all of your sins. But he's grieved. He's quenched. And that's why daily we need to learn how to walk in him. Confessing our sins. And that just simply means agreeing with God when he points it out to us that we're walking in the flesh and not the spirit. Say, Lord, you're right. And let's go from here. And he'll tell us to ask for forgiveness. Or he'll just teach us what to do next and how to make the situation right. And as we do that, the spirit of God is allowed to take control. And that's what the Bible calls the filling of the spirit. The filling of the Spirit is just simply the Spirit of God who's been already in you since your salvation being allowed to take control. If you were to read your Bible and change the words filled with the Spirit to under the control of the Spirit, it'd make a whole lot of sense to you. Because for years we've been taught that the filling of the Spirit is you go to this special service and a certain person will lay hands on you and then all of a sudden the Spirit's just poured out on you. That's not what the Bible teaches. You've already received all of God that you're ever going to need or got. You've got the fullness of Christ, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and following. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in Him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. You don't need more of God. He's already, all you God you already got is in you, and you have all you need. But He needs you to give Him control. And when you yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh. You're laying your flesh on the altar as a sacrifice, and you're saying yes to the Spirit. You then become under the control of the Spirit. That's what the filling of the Spirit is. He's allowed to take full control of you. And my prayer is that you will learn how to daily let Him do that. And it's a process. He expects it to be a process. He said that all along. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 1, as he was sitting in that prison, was wrestling with whether or not he was going to live or die. And he said, if I die, that go get to be with Christ, which is better by far. But if I stay, I'll means I'm going to stay in the body and receive more reward, fruitful labor. And then he said this. I think now after thinking about it that I'm supposed to stay in the body and help you in your progress in the faith. So don't let anybody teach you that You've got to just get your head right and it'll be all better tomorrow. No, it's going to be a process. But if you learn how to daily eat of the true bread and let him have control, I promise you, your wife will be glad. Your husband will be glad. Your kids might even be glad. Your neighbors will be glad. And God will be really pleased that you trust him and let him have control on a daily basis. Stop trying to live for Jesus. Get rid of your what would Jesus do bracelet. That's you trying to do what Jesus would do. Let Jesus do it. Let Jesus do it. Now, look at verse 32 of the passage we just closed with in Ephesians 4. It says, Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Oh, very good. Say a little louder, Susan. Of course, our microphone up here is not here, so I'll have to repeat it. Susan's quoting what we just worked. Forgive us our debts, what? As we forgive our debtors. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Listen closely. We forgive because He forgave us. We love because He loves us. We are not forgiven because we forgive. We forgive because we're forgiven. I'm going to say that again make sure you hear me. We're not forgiven because we forgive. If you forgive, then I'll forgive. No, that's you putting your faith in your actions. We forgive because we're forgiven. And that's what Jesus is teaching here when he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You're to be kind to one another and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. I guess a better way to put it is to help you see it in 1 John chapter 4. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love, why? Because He first loved us. Now, the Bible says, if we do not forgive, keep a finger here in 1 John 4, jump back to Matthew 6 again, look at verses 14 and 15, because we're going to come back to verse 13 in a little bit. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I was reading this one commentary, and he said some of the people would read that and say, so you're saying that if I don't forgive, my Father won't forgive me? So you're saying that if I don't forgive, I'm not saved? And the answer in that commentary was, absolutely. Those of us who are truly saved will forgive. If you will not forgive, you're not saved. Plain and simple. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a period that you aren't willing to forgive. But if you're truly saved, guess who's going to win? The Spirit of God within you. So, folks, listen to it. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you. And someone that says, I will not forgive that person has never received the forgiveness of God. No matter how much they claim they have. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 John chapter 4. I told you to put a bookmark in. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by is that? What's dangerous? Like, like I told you, period of time. I'm talking the practice of it. If you hold on to it for your life, you never had it. Pretty much. Yeah, I guess good. She said, don't put an exclamation, put a comma. But trust me, trust the spirit of God. If he's in you, he won't he won't let that unforgiveness go. He's going to make you miserable. If you're happy with unforgiveness, you better check whether or not the spirit of God's in you. Because I can tell you, even though someone say that's dangerous to say to somebody, listen to me very carefully. If the spirit of God's in you and you honestly say, I won't forgive, you'll be the most miserable person in the entire world because, you know, the spirit of God's going to be working on you. If you're good with I'm not going to forgive that person, you better check whether or not you have the spirit. And I'm not going to apologize for that statement because that's the scripture. Go to first John chapter four. Look at verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. By the way, do I need to clarify that? Sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? Go back to chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Father, forgive my sins 
in the same measure in which I forgive others. Isn't that what Jesus taught us there? In Matthew chapter 6, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lord, I want your forgiveness. He said, okay, then as I give it to you, share it. Share it. Well, I'm not going to forgive them until they ask for it. You ever heard that one? Is that how God did it? Was Jesus on the cross saying, Father, um, forgive them as soon as they ask? No, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The forgiveness was offered even though they didn't ask for it. Now, whether it's received by the other person is between them and God. But you don't wait until they ask to forgive. You forgive ahead of time. As Stephen was being stoned, he said, Father, do not hold this sin against them. He didn't wait for them to ask. He forgave. It's up to them whether they receive it. You need to be willing to forgive. If they receive it, it's a different story, but that's between them and God. You don't wait until they ask, and then you'll pray about it. You have an attitude that says, I think Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemy, he died for us. That's the attitude we should have. Now, let's go back to verse 13 to wrap up our study of the Lord's Prayer here. Look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I put in my notes here, why is this verse even in our template for prayer? Why would Jesus teach us to pray to the Father and ask him not to lead us into temptation? Isn't that interesting? Father, please don't lead me into temptation. Well, the reason is there's a lot here, and I hope you stick with me here to catch this. First off, to begin with, look closely at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. Isn't that interesting? In Matthew 4, we see that the Father, through the Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Father, please don't lead me into temptation. Keep in mind, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the same word is used for the words tempt and test. And there's an important reason for why. Some people say, well, my translation says test. That's fine, but it also can be tempt. And I'm going to show you scripturally, it's both. It's not one or the other, it's both, and I'll show you why. You see, Jesus was to be tempted by who in Matthew 4.1? Tempted by the devil. God's purpose, though, is to allow Satan to tempt us as a test. You see, Satan's purpose is a temptation. God's purpose is a test. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Genesis 22 and look at verses 1 and 2. Genesis 22, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Here that same word is used in the Hebrew to mean test. What was Satan's purpose? To tempt. God's purpose is to test. Keep in mind, God never, ever tempts anyone. James chapter 1 makes it very, very clear. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. I'm laying you here a foundation that hopefully in a second is going to all of a sudden explain this whole, the whole verse. It's just going to hopefully just open right up for us. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James says, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'm sorry? Yeah, the, I don't know exactly if it is. I think it is, though. I think it is the same one. I haven't actually done the Greek word on that one there, study, but I think it is. But since we are God's children, 
Satan can do nothing to us without God the Father's permission. Listen closely. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he controls whether or not Satan's allowed to do anything in our lives. Who's the one that wants to tempt? God? No, never his purpose. Satan is the one who wants to tempt. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God led Abraham in that situation for his purposes of testing Abraham. Satan's purpose is to tempt us so that we'll fall. God's purpose is to test us so that we will learn through the test. Now, go with me to Job chapter 1. The reason why Jesus is teaching us to pray to the Father, don't lead me into temptation, is... Who controls whether or not you're ever tempted? Satan? God. He's teaching us, ask the Father not to lead you into temptation, but then the rest of that prayer in verse 13 is what? But deliver us from the evil one. In other words, if you say yes, which you do sometimes, you did in the life of Jesus, if you say yes to letting Satan tempt us, give us victory. Deliver us from the evil one. And we're going to see that. Look at Job chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 12. It says, Then there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. These are the angels. Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro throughout the earth and walking up and down on it. By the way, Peter tells us that Satan goes to and fro throughout the earth doing what? looking for someone to devour. He's like a roaming lion looking for someone to devour. The angels all appear before God, and guess who's still on a leash? Satan has to come too. And God says, jerking his chain a little, what you been up to, Satan? Satan can't say none of your business. <laughs> Satan goes, you know, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. God, in a sense, says, I know why you've been going. You've been looking for someone to devour. Look at what it says. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. By the way, who pointed out Job to Satan? God did. We don't like that, do we? Oh, that's why we're taught to pray. Lord, um, don't do that. Don't lead me into temptation. Don't let Satan have permission, because we see here when God points out Job, Satan's response is, yeah, I know that guy, but you won't let me touch him. You've got this hedge of protection around him. You remove that and let me do some stuff in his life. He'll curse you to your face. And God allows Satan. He sets the parameters and he says, I'll tell you what, you can touch anything he has. You just can't touch him. Again, what was Satan's purpose? To tempt him turn away from God and to curse him to his face. What was God's purpose? To test him and have him grow stronger through the test. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you wait a few more verses, we'll get right there. But you, it's a great question. Susan's question is heading to where we're going. She's trying to get Brownie points with the teacher here. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 13. Look closely at this verse that many of us can quote, but I want you to see the depth of it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. By the way, has anybody ever felt that the stuff you're tempted with, nobody else is tempted with? Everybody ever felt that the things you think that you know you're not supposed to think, the things you struggle with that you know you're not supposed to struggle with. You ever thought that no one else struggles with it like I do? You ever felt, sat there in church thinking nobody else in here is wrestling with the same things I'm wrestling with? Um, Satan's lying to you. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is also faithful, though, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Did you catch that? 
He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. By the way, that right there is Matthew 6, 13. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. You control whether Satan's allowed to do stuff in my life, to tempt me, to cause me to, to doubt, all these things. But if you do say yes for your purposes of testing, give me the victory. You deliver me from the evil one. God says, I'm not going to. First off, you're going through stuff everybody else is. And I won't allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. And not only that, with the temptation, I'm going to provide a way for you to escape. Sure sounds like God's awful active in my temptation, isn't he? I like to look at it this way. I picture Satan going to my heavenly father's desk and saying, I want to mess with Jim Johnson. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you. But I have a purpose, even though your purpose is different. I have another purpose, and I'm going to, for my purposes, let you do it. But here are the parameters. Stamps it approved and lets him go. When that struggle comes in my life, whether it would be cancer like I had or many others that all of us go through, we have to first of all for, and foremost realize Satan can do nothing to a child of God without the Father's permission. And he knows. And as much as you think you can't handle it, God says he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. So either you're right and God's wrong, or God's right and you're wrong and you're listening to a lie of the enemy. But with it, he'll provide a way for you to have victory. So instead of fighting Satan, look for God's escape. Look for God's grace. Look for the secret uh, trap door, if you will, that God provides. Right. I, what she's saying is, is if you can't hear, that she, we don't really understand or talk about God's providential hand, how he controls every little aspect. I think part of the reason, Sheila, is we don't like that. Because ultimately it's saying God's in control of, and we're not. God's in control. Mm-hmm. My father's in control. He's got a purpose. He's got a reason. I don't understand it, but I let that truth. That's why Joseph could say to his brothers, after all that Joseph went through, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Satan had a purpose to tempt me and to make me turn away from God. God used it to make me stronger. Oh, that's true. His means of escape definitely might not line up the way we want. Yes, sir, Bill? Oh, that's, he's already done that. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It will in a second when I show you, I'll show you the difference. You're close. When you say, get out of here, Satan, uh, you sound close to what the Bible teaches, but you're not. And I'll, stick with me and I'll help you with that, hopefully. By the way, this goes to what you're talking about. This is why Jesus teaches us to ask the Father to not lead us into temptation. But if he chooses to, for his purposes, we are to seek his deliverance. And that's what I'm talking about here, Bill. His deliverance from the evil one. Did you catch that? We're to pray to the Father not to lead us into temptation, but if he chooses to for his reasons, we are to then, who are we still praying to when we say, but deliver us from the evil one? The Father. So we're, we now say, okay, I didn't want this to happen, but God said yes. So instead of me trying to fight him and me trying to deal with it and me trying to buck myself up or pull myself up by my bootstraps, my father has said yes, and this can't happen without his permission. Therefore, I'm looking to you. You said you'd give me the grace. You said you would give me the strength. I'm turning to you. Go to Matthew 26. You're going to see Jesus pray Matthew 6, verse 13 himself in Matthew 26. Look at verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face. Doesn't sound like he kneeled slowly, does it? He just plopped to the ground. You ever had one of those prayers? And he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Don't lead me into this temptation. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, if you're wanting victory over temptation by you stop trying to stop sinning, good luck. You want victory over temptation by saying, Satan, get out of here? Ain't going to work. Because that's you and your strength. You need the power of God. And he goes on and he says, he went for a second time and he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, In other words, I'm sensing your answer is no to my first request about you not leading me into this. If it means I can't can't get my wish on that, your will be done. I'm looking to you now. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer... Is at hand. Now let me ask you a question. As Jesus went through this trial, this test, the temptation, where Satan was wanting him to rely on himself and not the Father, where Satan was wanting him to fail, and the Father was using it for his purposes, if you look at Jesus throughout the whole deal, where were Jesus' eyes focused throughout the whole temptation? Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the joy set before him, he put his eyes on God. We see him standing before Pilate and Pilate says to him, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or to have you released? And Jesus calmly said, "Um, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless the father had given it to you. His eyes weren't on man. He was looking to the father the whole time. Folks, many of us, all of us at some time or another will go through things that the father has for his purposes. When we prayed that he would take it away, he says no. Don't try to handle it yourself. Finish the rest of verse 13. Then I need you. Then I need you to give me the power to deliver me from the evil one. Ephesians 6. Go to Ephesians 6. Look at verses 10 through 18. Paul says, finally, brothers. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Whose armor are you putting on? God's armor. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Anybody here honestly think you're going to win? Does anybody here, on, I might be at my size, 6'1", well, I'm shrinking now as I get older, I'm probably only six foot now, 285 pounds. I, I, I look around the room and I think, well, I probably could take him, I could probably, well, probably can't take her, but, you know, just, but I, I, I think there's some humans I can handle. Does any of us think that we can handle the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? Oh, we say no. But most of us try. Every single day, we try to say, get out of here, Satan. He's not scared by you. Keep reading. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet. Uh, put on, uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Folks, it's, it's real clear. 
when you're in the battle against these spiritual forces of evil, when God has said yes to your saying, don't lead me into temptation, you need to then even more rely on God. By the way, when Job was going through his tests, the first two chapters, his response was pretty good. He said, naked I came into the world, and naked I'll return. And he praised God. Then if you know chapter 2, it says again, Satan and the angels come before God, and God has the nerve to point Satan out, um, Job out again. Have you ever looked at that? Many of us would say, whew, that was a tough one. At least I'm going to be done for a while. It's someone else's turn. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to give you round two. What? I just got done with one. Yeah, I got another one for you. I got purposes. And this time, remember, Satan keeps saying, he'll curse you to your face. And then Job's wife comes up to him and says, do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. And what does Job say? He goes, you're talking like a foolish woman. Should we not also accept the bad things from God as well as the good? And again, where's his focus? It's on God. Now, God used it to test Job as well. If you keep reading, pretty soon he starts to take his eyes off of God and put them on himself. He starts defending his righteousness. And God shows up and realigns his focus again at the end. Folks, every one of us are going through stuff right now, or you're going to, or you've just come out of one. Pray, say, God, don't, don't lead me into temptation. But if you choose to let Satan have some authority in my life, my eyes are on you. Now, I've talked about a verse that I hope would help you, Bill. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verse 7. It's one of the most incorrectly quoted verses in the Bible. Has anybody ever heard anybody say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you? Anybody heard anybody quote that? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Folks, that's not what the verse says. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Is he fleeing from you or is he fleeing from the one that you've just submitted yourself to? Oh, he's submitted to, he's, he's running from God. Listen closely. I shared this illustration years ago. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not. Years ago when I was playing basketball in college at Flagler College in St. Augustine, uh, about 30 years and 100 pounds ago, I, uh, um, I had a roommate who was on the basketball team with me named Bob. And Bob was a big dude. He was six foot six, 260 pounds and all muscle. Actually, so much so all muscle that he became a professional wrestler. That's what he became. One night, we were in our dorm room. If you've ever been to St. Augustine and done the tour of St. Augustine, you got the Henry Flagler Hotel. That was our dorm back then. I actually stayed in the Henry Flagler Hotel over two different years of my time there. And there are some nice rooms in there. We're down on the bottom floor, and high school kids were in the area outside our hotel window throwing rocks at the window. My roommate, who's a big dude, opens the window and yells out, Hey, boy, knock it off! And the boys outside said, There are boys, plural, out here if you want to do something about it. My roommate, who's not afraid of a fight, turned to me and says, Let's go. Let's go fight him. <laughs> Folks, I'm just not a fighter. I've never been a fighter. I'm scared to death. I don't want to go get in a fight. He, Bob, they said there are boys out there. He said, if you don't come with me now, after I'm done with them, I'm going to come deal with you. <laughs> I said, let's go. <laughs> so me and Bob go to the door to go out of the hotel to go fight these guys who are out there ready to fight us. Again, I am walking behind Bob. He rips his shirt off like Hulk Hogan used to do. Rips it off and shows his muscles. I mean, he's one of those guys that could take his chest muscles and go ding, 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 ding. And he goes, rips it off, and he goes, let's go. And they ran. They, I mean, they just took off. I, there's like five or six of them. They just took off. And I walked back going, we took care of him. There. Yeah, buddy, we took care of them. I didn't find them. They weren't running for me. They probably never even saw me. I was doing this. Folks, are you in a battle? Stop trying to fight him. 
You can't. Stop trying to do better. Stop saying, I won't do that anymore. Submit yourself to God. Father, Jesus said, I don't want to go through this. But if it's your plan, my eyes are on you. Then he told his disciples, look, you got to watch and you got to pray. Or else you're going to fall into temptation. Oh, by the way, how'd they do? They not only fell asleep, they all scattered. They weren't bold. They didn't submit themselves to God. They ran. But God's gracious. Any of you ever failed a test? I have. Any of you ever given to temptation? Sure you have. But God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. Therefore, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So, folks, Jesus here in this prayer teaches us that we're to turn to him when that temptation comes. Ask him not to do it. There's nothing wrong like Peter, Paul played three times that the thorn in the flesh would be taken away, but God said, no, my grace is sufficient. You keep your eyes on me. In closing, and by the way, I can tell by the time, we're not going to have time to uh, get into fasting. You got off one more week before you had to get into fasting, so we'll deal with that next week. This is why Jesus says what he says to Peter when Satan sought to tempt and destroy him. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22, look at verses 31 through 34. Keep in mind, Satan wants, wanted Job to faith to fail, and he wanted him to quit believing in a good God. Satan wanted the same thing when he met, tried to mess with Luke. I'm sorry, with, with uh, Peter here in Luke. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day unless until you deny three times that you know me. Satan's purpose in, test, in tempting Peter to deny the Lord was so that Peter would deny the Lord and then beat himself up so much for doing it that he would quit the faith. That's what Satan's purpose was. He wanted to get him to deny the Lord, and then when he did deny the Lord, he would beat himself up so much for doing it that he would quit the faith. Jesus says, Peter, I prayed for you. My prayer wasn't that Satan wouldn't be allowed to do this in your life. My prayer is when I said yes to his request, Satan demanded to have you, I said yes. But my purpose and my prayer is that you won't quit the faith when you deny me. When you fail the test, my purpose is that you'll get stronger because of this. Oh, Peter says, you don't know me, Lord. I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I'm willing to die for you. I love you more than these. Remember when Jesus comes back after the resin from the dead and meets with him in, in John 21? He says, hey, he really loved me more than these. Remember that guy said he loved me the most? How'd you do? I do love you, Lord. He said, you're right, you do. Keep going. Feed my sheep. He says, Let's go from here. And Peter came back stronger through the test, even though he failed it. Satan's purpose was to have him quit. Some of you are thinking about quitting. Don't give in to Satan's purposes. Let God's purposes for this be what has accomplished in your life. God's purpose was to give Peter a test that would show Peter where his faith really was so Peter could return stronger in faith once he realized his weakness and he learned to rely on God. We'll close tonight with 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me read to you again what I just said. God's purpose was to give Peter a test that would show Peter where his faith really was, so Peter could return stronger in faith once he realized his weakness and he learned to rely on God. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You, beloved... Therefore, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the, both the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
He's just been warning them about these false teachers and these people that are going to try to trip them up and make them fall. And he says, hey, let me tell you something. Knowing this ahead of time, by the way, was Peter told ahead of time? He said, knowing this ahead of time, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. My prayer is that you won't quit, that your faith won't fail, that you won't shipwreck your faith, but grow. Go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. You're not going to lose your salvation. It's just the stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, I had to learn the same thing. I thought I was something that I wasn't. I tried to be strong for Jesus. And I thought I wouldn't deny him. I thought I wouldn't be tripped up. And I found out I wasn't everything I thought I was. But you know what? He's gracious. And I've learned to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've learned how to grow little by little. By the way, it's Peter that's the one who writes here in 2 Peter chapter 1 about, um, now that you've been saved, let's work on adding to your faith all these things. Let's grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that sounds a little bit like, um, give me my, this day my daily bread. Jesus, if I'm going to be anything that you want me to be, it's got to be done by you. And I'm not going to live for you today. But I want you to live through me. And I believe that you're the one who began this good work and you'll finish it. I'm not going to fight Satan. I'm going to ask that you keep him out of my life. But if you choose not to, my eyes are on you to give me victory and deliver me from the evil one. Lord, May you direct my heart, my heart to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. May you be the one who does this work. I'm submitting myself to you. My eyes are on you. Do what you're going to do through me. And folks, watch how God does a work in you and through you that only God could do. And then people look at your life and say, how in the world are you responding that way? And the only answer you can say is what? Jesus. I love you. We'll see you next week.